Amen, amen. You let them know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship this morning. Just great stuff. And let me invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John. If you're a guest of ours, we've been going verse by verse through this particular letter that John is writing. And really, we're being challenged to look at our lives through three different lenses, all right? And we've got these lenses kind of as the flags up here. We've already looked at our white flag. Our white flag represents surrender. And uh, just very quickly, so everybody's on the same page. Whenever you surrender to sin, you are always in rebellion to Jesus. Amen? But whenever you surrender to Jesus, you're always in rebellion to sin. And so we discuss the importance of actually waving our white flags to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked about two spiritual kingdoms. And those spiritual kingdoms are the kingdom of death and also the kingdom of life. And we brought this particular color flag out to represent the kingdom of death. And if you think about the kingdom of death, it has its own culture, just like any other nation or any other country or city would have. And if you see this kingdom, really this kingdom called death is driven by selfishness, driven by jealousy, driven by anger, driven by hatred, and even to the point of murder. So that's the kingdom called death. Now, the Bible teaches that you and I are actually born as citizens of a kingdom called death because we're born into sin. And the condemnation of sin looms over your life as well as my life. But aren't you glad there's another kingdom, amen? So there's a kingdom called life, and that's actually the red flag that we have represented here. And this red flag represents this kingdom that has its own kind of culture, its own kind of norms, its way of believing, its way of thinking. And if you were to kind of take a look at this red flag, uh, it really represents love, whereas the black flag represents hatred. And this particular love drives individuals who are citizens of the kingdom called lie to serve one another sacrificially, to add value to the lives of other individuals. Now, interesting, y'all still with me say yes? I promise I don't have these up here for no reason. There is a point. We are actually going to see today that these two spiritual kingdoms, kingdom of death and the kingdom of life, are actually in constant opposition to one another. So there is this spiritual battle that is taking place outside the ability of your eye and my eye to actually see. And so what we find here according to the culture of a kingdom called death is that the enemy who is the devil is the one who actually generates that world system. And the commander or the king of this kingdom is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who transforms our lives. And these two kingdoms are in opposition to one another. Now, the enemy who is the devil cannot, I repeat, cannot capture a person who is a citizen of the kingdom of life, drag him back and make him a citizen of a kingdom of darkness again. In other words, once you come to faith in Jesus, although you were born in this culture, but you heard the message of Jesus who died to pay for the penalty of your sin on the cross as your substitute, and you surrendered to Jesus, in that moment, the Bible teaches that Jesus forgives you of your sin, and then he puts you into this new kingdom, and he begins to now use you. The enemy can no longer ever capture you and carry you back into a kingdom called darkness. Can I get a witness on that? That's good stuff, right? So the enemy cannot do that, but here's the wild thing. The enemy can begin to entice you, begin to tempt you, or even seek to confuse you. And we're going to see together today that the enemy will actually try and cause static between your relationship 
with Jesus. And then he will also try to get you to begin to, I don't know, not like people, hate them, etc. Treat them poorly, take advantage of them, get uh, what you can get out of people without any desire to actually serve and love them. So the enemy is always tempting, and here's the reason why. He cannot capture you, so he wants to confuse you and to silence you. Now, why does the enemy want to silence us? Because, and this is beautiful, all right? Because the enemy knows what the mission of the citizens of a kingdom of life is. He, he knows the mission. The mission is to go and make disciples everywhere. So the enemy is actually losing ground. Because when we come in with the gospel of Jesus and we share with people how they can be saved from their sin and Get, you know, the condemnation of death and hell is taken away from them when they trust in Jesus. When we go in with that message, people are changed. And then more people are coming into the kingdom called life. So I would say it to you this way. The kingdom called life is actually on the offense moving in. The kingdom called death is on the defense trying to stop it from occurring. Does that make sense? So now, this morning, you and I are going to see that John wants to encourage us how we are to live as citizens of a kingdom called life so that we make the greatest impact carrying the gospel of Jesus to those who are in great need. So that in mind, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 23. And uh, like I said, we're going verse by verse through this. So we're going to go through chapter 4, I think, all the way to 6. All right, so stand with me in honor of God's word. You got a Bible there? Say amen. And I got some great stuff here. I really believe this is going to help you. It's helped me tremendously, all right? So verse 23, I asked y'all, do y'all have a Bible? You say amen? Okay. I'm still all the same exact people the first time. But anyway, verse 23, the Bible says, this is his commandment. That's God's commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he commands us. Verse 24, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Chapter 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Can I just get eyeballs for a second? Because I'm not going to have time to talk on this. I've already kind of preached on that. But the Bible does teach there is an Antichrist who is coming. All right? That is the Antichrist proper. But he speaks here of the fact that the spirit of the Antichrist is already active among us. All right? So that's what he's talking about. All right? Now, jump back into uh, verse 4 there. The Bible says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as the world, and the world listens to them. And then verse 6, And we're from God, and he who knows God listens to us, John says. He who is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's bow together. Father, we do thank you so much for your word today and the opportunity just to walk through these verses and be challenged and encouraged in our walk with you. So I just pray that the spirit of God would speak very clearly to our hearts and that you would be glorified in absolutely every single thing that is done today. And that's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning, all right? So what do we learn about how to live as citizens of a kingdom called life? Well, a few things here this morning. First of all, what we're going to learn is that John is going to say to you and I, do not 
Are y'all listening? Say yes. Do not get disconnected from your commander who is Jesus. Do not get disconnected from your commander who is Jesus. And uh, it's interesting here. Look at verse 23 in chapter 3. The Bible says, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and love one another just as he commands us. Now, eyeball to eyeball, because we got to do a little Bible study here. I want you to pay attention. Right before this verse, John says to those who are believers, he says, ask whatever you will, and it will be given to you, all right? So here we have an interesting reality. John talks about prayer in verse 22, and then here in verse 23, he says, now, here's his commandment, love, or believe, rather, in Jesus. You're to love him, too. Y'all with me? But believe in Jesus and love one another. Now, eyeball to eyeball, because this is pretty awesome. When he says the word believe here, oftentimes, we think of that very first initial decision to trust in Jesus, all right? So when you read believe, you're like, yeah, man, I did that. So you look at it often as a past tense action in your life. And I will say to you that that word does encompass believing, for you do have to believe in Jesus, trust in him, surrender to him in order to be born again in the citizen called life. But this word is actually used to speak of a continual habitual lifestyle. And I love this because what, what we see here is John is saying, take your white flag and walk always in full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his reputation, his name, his character. In other words, walk in submission to Jesus. And then he says, and love each other. Now, John learned this firsthand because Jesus taught him how to do that. You'll remember when Jesus went and washed the disciples' feet, and then Jesus was like, do as I do. He wasn't necessarily saying go out and wash everybody's feet because right after that in John's gospel, he actually says, love one another. So Jesus actually equates the idea of sacrificial service with love. And this word love here in the text is agape. It means unconditional love. It means that you are seeking to live in such a way as to add value to the lives of those that God has put around you. So think about it. You live with your flag in surrender to Jesus. And when you do this, you experience peace within. And then as you are surrendered to Jesus, what happens is you not only experience peace, but you also begin to express love toward others. And that's what occurs. And so that's the commandment. Now, the reason I say do not get disconnected from Jesus is because what helps our prayer life, the reason Jesus will answer the prayers that we pray are because we are walking in surrender to him. And we're walking in surrender to him. We know that we are in line with his will. We know that we are in line with his kingdom purposes here upon the earth. Therefore, we are praying in such a way that God desires to answer those prayers. Y'all with me say yes? Now, everybody probably here, the majority of everybody here, has one of these in their pocket or their pocketbook, all right? It's a, a telephone. And I remember whenever I first moved into this area a few years ago, four years ago, I think it was, Whenever we moved here, I had T-Mobile as my service. Anybody got T-Mobile as their service? Oh, it's horrible up here. Now, in Metro Atlanta, it was unbelievable, all right? Everywhere you went, man, you had the fastest service ever. But as soon as I moved here, I realized 
I was dropping calls left and right. There was one place in our house where I could occasionally get a signal. It was upstairs in Maddie's bedroom, which is my little girl, and I had to sit right next to the window, uh, crisscross applesauce for some reason, and open up the window and stick my head out like this. And every once in a while, I could talk to people, all right, because I had a signal. Now, the amazing thing is I've transferred my letter. Can I get a witness? And now, that was a Baptist joke, not a good one. But anyway, so now uh, we actually have Verizon. And right now, if, if you, I don't know what your cell phone says, but right now I've literally got, let's say, three out of five bars. Right? That means if I make a phone call, I'm going to be connected with somebody. But it's interesting, when I had this difficulty uh, of, of actually connecting with Krista on one occasion, trying to talk to her, it didn't matter where I went, man. I was always dropping the call, getting out of range. And she thought I was mad at her. Y'all with me, right? Krista's my wife. If you don't know that, I don't just talk to random girls named Krista, all right? But that was it. So I was always dropping these calls because I was always out of range. Now, y'all with me say yes? So here's the deal. When you are surrendered to Jesus and you're loving other people, guess what? You are in range with heaven. You have possible five out of five bars. You are connected, all right? And whenever you begin to pray, God begins to help guide your prayers. And as you pray, as you're connected, you begin to see that God will actually change how you pray for other people. He'll actually change how you treat other people because you're walking in connection. But as soon as the enemy, who is, by the way, seeking to call static between you and the Lord comes in, what does he do? He tries to tempt you. Tempt you to do what? Well, maybe tempt you to sin. Now, whenever you're surrendered to Jesus, there's peace within. But have you experienced any worry, anxiety, or fear lately? Have you had that kind of rolling around inside of your heart and in your mind, and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm about to panic. Well, listen, you know what's happening? You, you are stepping out of range in your relationship with Jesus. Y'all listening? Now, at the same time, the enemy, maybe he can't get you that way, but what he would love to do is try to drive a wedge between you and somebody else in your relationship world. So maybe the enemy would come in and try to drive a wedge between husband and wife or parents and children or maybe that person that you work with or someone in your family or someone in your neighborhood. He's always trying to drive a wedge to get you, entice you to become jealous or angry or selfish, hateful, a get-even attitude. Why, why does the enemy seek to do this? Here's why he seeks to do it. He cannot capture you. So what he wants to do is cause static between you and your relationship with Jesus. Because, check this out. Are y'all listening to say yes? When he causes static between you and your relationship with Jesus, guess what you do not do effectively? You do not carry out the mission of making disciples everywhere. Are y'all listening to say Yes. Now, isn't that interesting? Because, again, man, this is so far outside what you and I can see with our naked eye. What is happening really is a spiritual war that is occurring on the outside spiritually. And, man, the enemy is just trying to keep you from using your life to carry forth the gospel of Jesus. And he does that by getting at your surrender to Christ and by getting at your love for other people. Now... What do we do when this occurs? This is why I love the text, all right? So look at with me, if you will, at verse 24. The Bible says, the one who keeps his commandments. Now, eyeball to eyeball, because we're teaching here. What are the commandments? Believe in Jesus and love who? 
All right, I'm glad you five came to Bible study this morning. All right, so we love one another. All right, and then verse 24, and the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. That means you remain in him, you walk with him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. Now, this is pretty awesome because John now is introducing to you and I the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, takes up residence in the life of those who trust Jesus Christ. So the moment of your salvation, when you surrender to Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came to make your body his home. So he lives within you. And the Holy Spirit now is actually, he has this major role, which I love. His major role is to help you and I make much of Jesus. That's his major role, all right? He's, there, he's helping us make much of Jesus. So whenever static, or maybe I, let's say Levi, I, I walk out of range in my connection with the Lord, I drop the call. Filled with worry, filled with anxiety, I got panic going on, and I've got all this stuff going on in my heart. When that occurs, guess what? The Holy Spirit within me begins to prick my conscience, begin to convict my heart and say, Levi, you're getting out of range. Levi, come on back over here. You, you don't need to live like that, filled up with worry and fear and anxiety. Levi, you need to come over here. You need to surrender to Jesus. Is, is, is God not sovereign over all things? Is he not in control? I'm asking y'all. Can I ask y'all that? Is he in, so if he's in control, chill out. Get over here and surrender to the fact that God knows what's going on even when you don't. See, the Holy Spirit begins to work in my life. And when the Holy Spirit works in my life, it's just another confirmation that the Holy Spirit actually lives in me. Now, at the same time, let's say, uh, and y'all would never do this, but let's say one of y'all really ticked me off. Are y'all with me, yeah? Well, some of y'all would. But let's just say, let's say, let's say that you, you, you really got on my, my nerves, man. I, you know, I, I didn't surrender to Jesus. So I thought, man, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that boy a piece of my mind. And so I go in, man, and I'm just all fired up about the decision, and I'm just going to light into you and let you know what I really think, and I'll let you know what a few choice words. Are y'all listening? If I am to do this, and if I do this, then the Bible teaches me that the Holy Spirit within me begins to convict me. Because as soon as I drop the call, the Holy Spirit says, you dropped it. Pick it back up, pick it back up. What are you doing? What are you doing? If you act like that, you're going to totally miss the reason why my Father brought you into his kingdom to begin with. Are y'all listening? So the Holy Spirit gets the word. And what is awesome here is that the Bible says you and I can treat the Holy Spirit in at least two ways. It says you can quench the Holy Spirit. That, that gives the imagery of pouring water out on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit can convict you that your attitudes aren't right, or the Holy Spirit can convict you that your actions toward other people are not right. But if you do not pay attention to just pour water on his leadership, then you are turning down his voice in your life. Y'all listening? Now, at the same time, you can actually not only quench the Spirit, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting because the word grieve uh, really speaks of causing sadness. So the Holy Spirit is actually an individual person. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And by the way you treat Jesus, and by the way you treat others, you can cause sadness to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is saddened within you, check this out, it affects you as a believer. Because your spirit becomes grieved. You become miserable. 
Are y'all listening? Eyeball to eyeball, because this is huge. You get miserable in your sin. Now, if you can walk in sin and not be miserable, that's because you're not a citizen of the kingdom called life. Proof that the Spirit of God resides within you is when you drop a call, the Spirit of God brings it to mind. Now, I told you I dropped my calls with Krista all the time back in the day, right? Before I got this awesome phone service. But when I dropped my phone calls with her, did that mean we were no longer married? No, I just dropped the phone call. Y'all with me? So what do I have to do? I got to call her back. Whenever I drop the call with the Lord, does that mean I'm no longer in a relationship with Him? No, 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 not at all. It simply means that I have got to redial, recalibrate, get back. Look, check it out. If I'm over here out of range and the Spirit of God convicts me and makes me miserable in my sin and says, come back, come back, and that's what the Spirit of God does. He woos you. He is steadfastly loving you. He's wooing you, calling back, saying you're missing the reason that you were saved. You're missing the very mission that Jesus gave you. Come back over here. And as soon as I turn back, aren't you glad that the Lord's not. Now, here's 10 things you got to do before I'm going to love you. Jesus doesn't act that way. He's like, come here, man. I, I was waiting on you. Come here, come here. Let's get back to what I saved you to do. Are y'all listening? Because that's good preaching. Because what I'm trying to say to you and what John is saying to you and I is, first of all, listen, as citizens of this kingdom, you have a mission. But don't get disconnected or you will disconnect from the mission. Now, if you haven't been very concerned with making disciples or making much of Jesus in your life, then either you have dropped the call or you have never picked up the phone. All right, y'all ready for point number two? Y'all ready over there? Y'all look sweet over there. Point number two, and I like this one. Do not be confused by those who claim to be connected. Do not be confused by those who claim to be connected. Now, chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, again, the word believe there, it was already used in chapter 3, verse 23. It means the same thing in chapter 4, verse 1. He's saying here, do not continually surrender yourself to every spirit. Now, eyeball to eyeball, eyeball to eyeball. Here we are, here we are, here we are. What does this mean? This means that there are other spirits besides the Holy Spirit. And those spirits are unholy spirits. And the unholy spirits, it's pretty unique, right? I've got to give this to you quickly because time is running out. Can y'all think like the devil for just a moment? I know it ain't hard for some of y'all, but just think like the devil, all right? Just for a second. The devil wants to confuse you with false teaching because if he can confuse you, he keeps you from carrying out the mission of making disciples. So what does the devil do? The devil calls people into ministry. What are you talking about? Levi, you call them into ministry. You talking about preachers? Yes. The devil calls men and women into ministry and then he fills them with an unholy spirit and that unholy spirit within them begins to preach but they preach in such a way as to attract the selfishness of man-centered people already. 
And because they're man-centered and because they're already selfish, when they hear a message that enables them to be more man-centered and more selfish, they latch on to that message. And the enemy often uses those false prophets who are controlled by unholy spirits to confuse people who are true citizens of a kingdom called life. The number one attack on the New Testament church is false teaching. It's the number one attack. The enemy knows if he can just confuse you, he'll mess you all up. You won't know what you're saved to do. You'll totally miss the mark. You'll go out and teach something that's not right. And here he's saying, you've got to check it. You've got to check it. You've got to test it. Now, uh, flew on an airplane before. You ever done this? All right. So I've done this many times. I remember going to Atlanta to fly to Brazil with uh, two people who were members of our church, Brandon Roney, our student pastor, and then also Darren Bryson was with me, and uh, we were going over to, uh, to teach pastors, all right? So whenever you show up at Atlanta and go through the airports, you've got to go through all this screening, right? They want to make sure you don't have anything you're going to do to blow the plane up or whatever. And so, you know, you take your suitcase and you put it down there on that little conveyor belt that carries it through the little suitcase washing machine. Y'all with me? And it goes through there, but really what they're doing is they're, they're checking your uh, bag by looking at this computer. It's an x-ray. They're checking it out. Checking it out. Should that be on there? Should that be on there? Should that be on there? Mine went through fine. Brandon's went through fine. Then it was Darren's turn. Darren's bag went through, and it was like, Y'all with me? Stop, slam on the brakes. They pulled his bag out, pulled him to the side. By this time, me and Brandon are like, I don't know who that guy is. I, I mean, we're going to Brazil, man. They take his bag over there, and, and Darren's like, I don't know what's happening. But they're checking inside of his bag. They're digging all through that thing, pulling everything out. And then all of a sudden, they pull out this knife. <laughs> I don't know what he was planning, but it was spoiled. Y'all listening to me? He had totally forgotten that his son actually had that book bag at one point in time and had some pocket knives in there. So straight up, Darren Bryson is a terrorist. But anyway, so he... But he had that. But what I want you to see is that the alarm went off. Now, check this out. The Holy Spirit not only helps you when you're uh, experiencing static in your relationship with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit also helps you and I discern when false teaching is trying to fly in our life. So what does this mean? This means every single thing that is taught, you should take that teaching, that doctrine, put it in a suitcase, and let it pass by the grid of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And whenever you do this, if it is not in line with what the Scriptures teach, then what the Bible teaches is that the Holy Spirit will put a check in your spirit about that message. Watch out. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. Something's a little off there. And you should check everybody. That includes me. Paul the Apostle was checked by the Bereans in the book of Acts. They took what he was teaching. They said, hold on, we're going to line this up with the Scripture. So, so that is fine. You should always be checking. Don't let every single thing fly in your Bible study. Now, that's what they were, some of them were doing. As a matter of fact, you can see here that John begins to outline. He says, uh, look at verse 2. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. There the Holy Spirit is again. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, that's interesting. If they say Jesus is in the flesh, they're from God. Now, why is John pulling this one out and highlighting it? It's because of what's happening in that particular culture. You have these false teachers who are going around saying that Jesus didn't actually have flesh. He only appeared to be real. Now, here's the amazing thing. If Jesus didn't have flesh, that means Jesus didn't actually die. And if Jesus didn't actually die, then you and I are still in our sin. So whenever they run around and say, Jesus didn't have flesh, he's saying, "Woo! that should be a warning to you to not let that teaching fly. 
And then he goes on here in verse 3, and he's like, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. So he's saying here now, if you run into somebody and they don't confess that Jesus Christ is God, then you need to turn from them and run. Jesus is pivotal to this gospel message. So this means that whoever you're listening to teach, whether it be on television or whether it be on the radio or you're YouTubing it or you're podcasting it, if you are taking teaching in, you should find out what those individuals believe about Jesus. They should believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. They should believe that Jesus has always existed. They should believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. They should believe that Jesus died upon the cross at Calvary as the substitute for man's sin here on the world. They should believe that Jesus was in a borrowed tomb but got up from the dead three days later. They should believe that Jesus is coming again. Those are essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you run into somebody who does not believe those, don't let that dude teach you. He will confuse you. And if he confuses you, what is he keeping you from doing? Focusing on the mission of making disciples everywhere. Now i got to go quick. Y'all still with me say yes? Last little thing, know the lingo of the kingdom called life. Know the lingo, all right? Get to know it. What are we talking about here? Well, let me read it. Y'all ready? Verse 4, you are from God, little children. You have overcome them. Look at the preacher just a minute. Overcome them. Who's them? Check this out. It's the unholy spirits. You have overcome them. You have overcome the false teachers. How in the world did you do that? Check out verse 4. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So, so how do we overcome unholy spirits? How do we overcome the prince of the power of darkness? How do we overcome false preachers? We do it by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God enables us, empowers us, leads us, guides us into the truth, makes much of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. Now, verse 5, he's like, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. In other words, those who are false teachers led by unholy spirits are actually speaking words that are the same lingo of those who reside in a kingdom called darkness. Y'all ever been overseas before? I love it when I'm overseas and maybe I'm at a restaurant somewhere and all of a sudden I hear somebody speaking English. I get fired up. I'm like, that dude sounds just like me. Less country, but he sounds just like me. And so I, I go to them. I, you know how bold you are overseas? It's amazing. If you hear somebody speak English, you don't care what they look like. You just walk straight to them. Hey, man, where are you from? We, we talk the same language. And there is this immediate connection because we have the same lingo. Now, John is fixing to tell us in verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us, and he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, so what is he saying here? He's saying this. If you know the lingo, you will receive what we're teaching you because we're the ones giving you the lingo. We are the apostles 
who have not received this message third, fourth, fifth hand. We got this message firsthand from Jesus himself. And we now are actually delivering this message to you. And if you receive what we're teaching, that is proof that you are of us. Uh, Just so you know, when the New Testament church was birthed in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in that moment that the people began to dedicate themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Well, the apostles' teaching is the New Testament. Dedicate ourselves to that. We learn the lingo so that when some false prophet comes in and starts talking crazy, we're like, get that mess out of here. You can't fly with me. Are y'all hearing what I'm talking about? The ultimate desire of the enemy is to silence you. The ultimate desire of the enemy is to get you just kind of, I don't know, plugging through life without genuinely, habitually surrendering to Christ. The desire of the enemy is to get you, if he can, to be in this constant state of warfare with somebody who has flesh. I, I, I use that on purpose because the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But the enemy wants you to. Because if he can get you wrestling with your wife or your husband or whoever you were, if he can get you all in this argument and all tore up about this, he, he keeps you from doing what Jesus saved you to do. You were saved. Are y'all listening to the preacher? Right here? Now I'm fixing to tell you why you were saved. This is pretty legit. You were saved to be, everybody look at me. Can't say it till everybody's looking. All right. It was just one, but I waited patiently. You were saved so that you could be an ambassador for Jesus. An ambassador speaks on behalf of another country. God saved you so that you could speak on behalf of his country and invite people who are in the same kingdom you used to be a part of. Invite them to come to faith in Jesus. Now look, what are you doing? Are you doing this? Are you involved with making disciples? Are you sharing Jesus? Don't look away, don't look away. I know it's tough to hear questions like this. That's what you're called to do. And listen, what I'm supposed to do is help you do that. Because if you, if you miss that and you stand before Jesus, you're going to find that you wasted your whole life. You may have a nice bank account. You may have a nice house. You may even have nice children. But listen, if you stand before Jesus and you weren't involved with what he saved you to do, you're going to be like, oh, my, what? I, I'm embarrassed. But you don't have to be. You know why? I'm going to say, you know why? Then y'all all say, why? Do you know why you don't have to be embarrassed? Try again. You know why you don't have to be embarrassed? Because you got one of these bad boys right here. And all you got to do is live in a constant state of surrender to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you. Because anytime you start to drop a call, the Holy Spirit says, oh, watch out, good girl. Don't say that. Th- that. That doesn't reflect our country. <laughs> this, this sermon gets better every service. You should come back next service. <laughs> now, I don't know where you are. 
I tell, I tell first service, we should just preach this sermon every single Sunday. Here, here's, here's the two points, uh, or two questions. Where are you, and what are you doing? Y'all like that sermon? Y'all just come back next week, that's all I'll say. Y'all probably fired up, they'll be like, that's the shortest sermon, that's the best sermon you've ever preached, Levi. But that's it. Where are you, and what are you doing? Some of you have dropped the call. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit's trying to woo you and bring you back. Some of you are still citizens of a kingdom of darkness, and you showed up to church today, and God right now is saying, I'm inviting you to be a part of what I'm doing. But you've got to come through Jesus. You can come no other way. Trust in Jesus. He died for you. Where are you, and what are you doing? Let's bow together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for our time this morning. We pray that you would work in hearts right now. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You're perhaps a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. And listen, I'm not here to get all rowdy with you and make fun of you. I used to be a citizen there. But man, somebody told me about Jesus, and my life has never been the same. And that's what I'm trying to do with you. I just want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus died for your sin. He was buried and resurrected. If you'll trust in Jesus, he will give you a new life. The very one who created you, who was God, Man, he, he'll begin to share with you the reason that he made you. And you can join his mission to be a part of letting the whole world know about this gospel message of Christ. Well, you know, you, you might be here today and, man, you, you know the Lord, but you've just flat dropped the call. And you know that too. Hey, listen, you can dial him right now, just in prayer. And you just say, Lord, I know I've dropped the call. Forgive me and help me to stay in range, surrender to you. Help me to stay in range, sacrificially, loving other people. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed this morning, you, you may be here today and You've given your life to Christ. Well, listen, the first step of obedience is baptism. That's you basically just saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm a part of the kingdom called life now. And we didn't do that because we're Baptists. We do that because it's what the Bible tells us to do. So if you've trusted Jesus but you've not been baptized, in a moment we'll stand to our feet. I'll be here in the front. Other pastors as well. You, you step out of the place where you've been seated. Just walk forward. We're not going to embarrass you. We'll be fired up for you. So will others who are citizens of a kingdom called life. They love seeing people get baptized. They'll encourage the fire out of you. Or the Lord may be calling you to join this church body. You're like, man, I want to partner with this fellowship to accomplish the mission of making disciples. And if God's calling you, you come. Father, the invitation, as always, is yours. We give it to you as we sing, I surrender all. And that's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we